Good morning. Today is Tuesday, December 1st, 2020. Yesterday I shared with you a lesson from Yaakov preparing to meet Esav in this week's Parsha. And Yaakov prays to God that this reunion will be a peaceful reunion. And Yaakov also takes concrete steps to prevent an assault, which he is worried about from his brother Esau, and to defend his family if there is an assault. And the point is that we cannot rely only on prayer. We have to do our part to reach the goal that we seek. There are other types of situations where prayer is not only insufficient by itself, but actually inappropriate. And I wanted to share a couple of these with you. Number one, there are certain situations where what I am called upon to do necessarily takes precedence over prayer. The concept in the Talmud, Osek b'mitzvah patur min ha-mitzvah. One who is involved in the performance of one mitzvah is exempt from another mitzvah that occurs at the same time. Now, there are several conditions for this to apply. It is not a blanket statement, and the conditions must be met rather precisely. In the context of prayer, prayer, of course, is a positive mitzvah, and it is subject to something else coming in the way and taking precedence. And it must be, for example, a mitzvah overes, a mitzvah that I have the opportunity to do but if I don't do it now, I won't be able to do it later. If there's a mitzvah that I have to do and I could pray first and then I could do the mitzvah, of course I should pray first. But if the opportunity will be lost, if I delay, that might be a reason to set aside prayer in order to do this other mitzvah. And the other requirement is, it must be a mitzvah that is a mitzvah that nobody else could do. I'm the only one that can do it. And therefore, if I don't step in and allow this to take precedence, this mitzvah would not be done. If it's the kind of mitzvah where somebody else who has already prayed could be able to do it, then I should allow that person to do it. But if it requires me, then I have to be the one to do it. I'll give you an example. God forbid uh, someone is sick and you have to take them to the hospital. So, of course, that takes precedence over other mitzvahs. That could take precedence over all other mitzvahs also. But let's just talk about prayer for now. If there is a, uh, an opportunity that arises where someone needs my help and they need it now, waiting till after I pray will not be helpful to them. And there is no one else to do it but me or no one else who can do it as well as I can, or for emotional reasons, I am needed for that task, then that's a situation where that mitzvah takes precedence over prayer. There was a young man who lived in Lakewood, New Jersey, very religious area. He was a religious man. And he's a person that went to shul every morning. He davened with a minion every morning. I'm talking about before COVID. And um, one day he did not come to davening. And it was very surprising. The fellows who sat next to him were very surprised. It was very, very unusual. So the next day they said to him, what happened? So he told them the following story. He said, I was on my way to come to shul. 
And I came upon a Jew who was hungry and who was crying. And I stopped to feed this Jew. The other men were, were just amazed. Wow, what a beautiful mitzvah. Set aside the opportunity to pray in order to be able to help a Jew who was hungry, who was crying. What an opportunity. Who was this Jew that you helped? And the man said, it was my baby. My baby. And my wife was sleeping and she needed her rest. And so there's a Jew who was crying and hungry and... Um, that came before coming to Davin with a minion. There's another example of this that unfortunately is not humorous. It's sad, but it is an example of the concept. And that is, God forbid, if a person has a close family member, God forbid, that passes away. So after the funeral begins a period called Shiva, that we're familiar with. Before the funeral, meaning from the time of death, until the end of the burial, a person is in a category called onain. Onain means that a person is not supposed to pray. A person is not supposed to perform any positive mitzvahs. Now, there are some limitations to this. The status of onain only occurs on weekdays, not on Shabbos, not on Yom Tov, if that occurs between the death and the funeral. But, for example, that means... Uh, if someone has, uh, God forbid, a funeral that day, they wake up, they don't put on tefillin, a man doesn't put on tefillin, they don't daven. If a person's going to eat, they don't say a blessing, they don't say a bracha. It's very strange. Why? What's the reason for this? So there are two opinions. One opinion is in the Babylonian Talmud, Talmud Bavli, which is the Talmud that is generally considered to be authoritative for us. The Talmud Bavli says, because of this principle, osek b'mitzvah, patramin mitzvah. When a person passes away, God forbid, the, the mourners, the family members, they are engaged in another mitzvah. They're engaged in showing honor to the deceased by setting aside everything else in their life to make preparations for the funeral and to make preparations for the shiva. So, by involving themselves in these activities and letting these activities set aside other positive obligations, they are in that way showing honor to the deceased. This is what it means that, 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 that life is not going to go on as normal in the face of this uh, family member, God forbid, passing away. And so therefore, uh, not praying when a person, God forbid, is an onain, is an example of this principle, osik b'mitzvah, persons involved in one mitzvah, caring for the deceased, showing honor to the deceased, and that exempts them from any other positive mitzvah. It's interesting, that's the normative opinion that, we, that, that exists within the Talmud Bavli. The Talmud Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, has a different answer, which is, and of course, every situation is unique and not every uh, um, um, uh, explanation will fit into every situation. But the Talmud Yerushalmi says something very, very uh, insightful. The Talmud Yerushalmi says that an onain, a person, God forbid, family member passed away, it would be expected, understandable, if that person 
was angry with God because of what happened. Now again, it depends on the situation. Every situation is different. But certainly, we, we all know, we may have experienced situations where, God forbid, someone passes away and, 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 and the mourners are, are angry. And they're angry with God. And the Talmud says, a person, a human being, cannot be expected to reach out to God as a loving God in prayer at a time when their experience is so much the opposite of that. And therefore, the Talmud says, between the passing and the funeral, it's better not to pray. We don't want to impose that because of the emotional burden that it could cause. Again, it's not applicable in every situation, but it's tremendously sensitive in recognizing what a person goes through and what prayer requires. There's another category. Another category where prayer for a specific outcome is inappropriate. The Talmud says, it's a Mishnah in uh, Brachos, the Talmud says, a person who prays for something that has already happened, that is an empty prayer, a meaningless prayer. Meaning as follows. Let's say I'm praying for an outcome. If it has already happened, but I just don't know what the outcome is, for me to pray for it makes no sense because it's already happened. So, in order for my prayer to be accepted, it would have to cause, it would have to be caused by a miracle where something already in existence transformed or changed. And we don't pray for miracles. We pray for what is normal. The, the Mishnah gives an example. Let's say there's a woman who is pregnant. She's expecting. And let's say for whatever reason, I can't understand it, but let's say the mother of the baby, let's say uh, prays that the baby that should be born should be a girl. For example, I don't know why a person would pray that, but let's just say they do. The only problem is the baby is inside her stomach. The baby is growing. The baby is already there. Um, probably today, if she did the right kind of test, she could find out if it's a boy or a girl. Let's say she didn't do the test, or let's say it was not conclusive, whatever reason it is to pray for an outcome, but it's already there. If the baby is actually a boy inside her, the fetus is actually a boy, and she's praying for a girl, her prayer means she's asking God to do a miracle, that inside her stomach, the baby should change from a boy to a girl. That's not an appropriate prayer, because it's already there. It's just that we don't know the answer. There are a lot of examples of this. A person takes a test, and then they pray that they did well on the test. Well, it doesn't help to pray to do well on the test after you've taken it. Maybe it helps to pray to do well on the test before you take it. Once you've taken it, you've taken it. So then it's going to be what it's going to be. Even if it's a medical test, the same thing applies. Person, you know, very applicable. Person goes for uh, a COVID test and uh, now they're waiting for the results. So person's got to be careful what they pray for. To pray that it should be negative is meaningless because you already took the test. You're just waiting for them to the lab to do the work and the and the 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 hospital to call you back. It's already determined. Yes, of course you can pray that you should not get sick. 
You should pray that you should not give it to someone else. You should pray that if you do sick, you should you do get sick, you should recover soon. It should be light. There are a lot of things that you can pray for, but simply to pray, to daven, to pray that the result should be negative after you've already taken the test, that is in the category of tefillah shav. It is a meaningless and inappropriate prayer. And all such prayers that are like that. One last example I'll give you. An, an example, one last example where prayer is insufficient. This is a story I've told before. Uh, it's a story I heard from Nasanel Yoel Safran. And the story goes like this. There was a young man, religious man, and he was visiting with a great sage, a great rabbi, who is known for his compassion and who is known for giving blessings to people for success in various things. And it was the practice in some parts of the Jewish world, this is very common, maybe not in our part of the world, Jewish world, but in some parts it's very common that a person has, a, someone is sick, someone needs, is in, in financial difficulty, someone is looking for a shidduch, and you go to a great scholar, a great sage, a great rebbe, and you ask for a bracha, and that wise, pious person, through his love of every person and his empathy, can pray, and that's what people do. So, a person, young man, got an appointment, and he was very fortunate to get the appointment because a lot of people want to see this great scholar, and he finally got to see him, and he asked him for brachos, for blessings, for good health, he asked him that he and his wife should have children. He asked that a blessing that they would be able to provide materially for their family. And this rabbi gave him the blessings that he asked for. And then finally his time, the appointment was coming to an end. He said, Rebbe, I have one more blessing to ask for. And that is, please bless me with shalom bias, with harmony within our home. My wife and I, we're not getting along so well. There's some difficulties. I ask you for a bracha. Give us a blessing that we should be able to uh, that we should be able to have harmony and a peaceful marriage. And the rabbi looked at him. And he said, "I can't." The man said, "But I'm I'm begging you. I I need this. I, I, why am I so terrible that you you can't even give me this bracha? It's something that is so important, and and I'm just asking for a bracha. Why won't you help me?" And the rabbi said, "I didn't say I won't do it. I said I can't do it. Why can't you do it?" The rabbi said, "Because having a good marriage, a peaceful marriage." is something that is dependent on your choices. It's dependent on the words that you say. It's dependent on the actions that you do and the words you do not say and the actions that you do not do. There are some areas of life where things come from heaven and therefore a blessing can sway, can have an impact. But when something is in the realm of your own free choice, a blessing is not going to help. The, the key to a peaceful marriage is to respect your spouse, to love your spouse, to hold back from saying things that would be negative, 
And if you don't say the right things, and if you don't do the right things, all the blessings in the world are not going to help. A happy marriage comes by our actions, by our words, by our choice, not from blessings. The truth is that Shalom Bayes also benefits from prayer, but it can't be just prayer. It's got to be the actions, it's got to be the words, it's got to be acting in the right way that brings us to that conclusion. We have to be very careful not to rely on prayer when it is inappropriate, just as we have to be careful to rely on prayer when it is appropriate. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person. 